0: Ken Lauman asked me to give a commercial concerning the tapes again. If you're interested in those and would like to get a fuller picture, then uh, you need to sign up for those today. In the back, there's 15, actually 11 tapes for $15 on the women's series, and I think there's 10 or 11 tapes for the men for $13. Just want to say that I'm sorry, and please forgive me, and it's not my fault that these chapels are so close to finals. Um, I as a pastor fight two tensions. One is loving people and I am more excited about this particular group of people than uh, I think any other school that I work with and I'm aware of. I'm excited to see what God is going to do with you in the future. I'm excited to see 10 years from now who you might be able to call up all around the country each other to see how God is using you in such great ways for his purposes and his kingdom. At the same time, I know it's been tough for some of you um, reading in to some statements that have been made. Uh, sometimes in the clarity of scripture and in the brevity in which we address certain issues It's very difficult to get a full picture And I want you to know that the passage that we have attacked in Titus chapter 2 is not the full picture On the role of women and the role of men, but it is a good picture It's a picture of what you are to be as you approach marriage, which is for 95 and above percent of you And so I want you to really think that through As well as the other tension is to be a prophet and speak the word no matter what And I hope and pray that as we cover what the Bible would have for us this morning That uh, you would know that, that there's a great deal of care and concern about you And yet at the same time a zealousness to speak the truth Because I don't just speak to you, I speak to Jesus Christ and must please Him And He's only pleased when His word is proclaimed So please understand that as we go through that I want you to know this morning what the bad news is The bad news this morning is that statistics tell us that the United States of America, almost all women who get married, get married before their 31st birthday, and for most men, they get married before their 35th birthday. Therefore, that means that a woman can be considered a spinster at the age of 32, and a man considered a bachelor by the age of 36. But really, that's really good news, because that means for the large majority of you here this morning that you're going to get married, and the time for you to get married is fast approaching. For most of you who even the idea of marriage is something that is totally foreign to you, it's going to happen to you within four to eight years at the most. Some of you are ready to bite the big one in the next year. You're going to walk that aisle and make that choice, but that's also bad news. Since marriage is not easy, it's something that doesn't come naturally. It takes a lot of work, even though our world and our society paints it as being something that is the ultimate answer. At the same time, it is a lot of tough, serious work as well as joy. But that's really good news. Since you are not married, you can spend your time now getting ready for that day. And that's exactly why we've been covering the role of men and the role of women. It's something that, again, over 95% of you are going to participate in. The question is, what are you doing about the second most important decision that you're going to be making in your entire life? What are you doing about it now? Uh, Most of you would call yourself Christians. That is the most important decision you've ever made. And yet most of you who think about marriage and think about being married someday... At times may be doing very little about what is coming ahead of you And that's again why we're looking at Titus chapter 2 verses 4 through 8 And I'd like you to turn there in your Bibles if you would this morning So we may again look at those essential qualities of the role of a man The role of a man And understand what God's goals for men are Last time we were together we discussed the introduction to the role of men Or the role of headship Looked a little bit about what God has called men to be and to do as filling out their role of headship. And now in Titus chapter 2, verses 6, 7, and 8, he describes five essential qualities, five essential goals of the young man. And here they are. Let's look over them together. Mentally, we are to be sensible. Visually, we are to be. An example of good deeds. Theologically, we are to be pure in doctrine. Socially, we are to be dignified. And verbally, we are to be sound in speech. Well, let's take a look at the first one. Mentally, we are to be sensible. Take a look at verse 6 of Titus 2. Paul says to urge the young men to be sensible. And in order to be a godly man... The Christian male must be a thinking man. Now you're in a thinking institution, you're at a college, and yet you'd be surprised on how few of us at times really exercise what the Bible calls sensibility. We must not be like the man who was hit so hard on the head at work that it appeared as if he was dead. His family was totally convinced that he was dead, so they called the funeral director to come and pick him up, which he did. And in picking him up, he took him to the funeral home. And the next day was going to prepare his body for burial. And the man woke up. And he woke up and sat up. And he found himself sitting in a coffin. And he blinked several times and looked around, trying to put the whole thing together. And then he said this, If I'm alive, what in the world am I doing in this satin-filled box? And if I'm dead, why do I have to go to the bathroom? (laughs) Now, in a situation like that, that is not exercising the thinking senses. Even in our life in the fast lane society, being sensible means that we refuse to walk in a state of disorientation, that we refuse to walk in a state of confusion. That really applies to this time in our lives when we're about to approach finals and we're thinking that we've got to remember everything that we've been taught and all of a sudden everything turns to oatmeal But at the same time you need to recognize that sensibility just doesn't involve our studies It involves our very lives the way that we approach our lifestyle and men are to be thinking men Thinking men the word as it is used in the original language comes from the root that means safe or sound Sound and it is used in scripture to refer to exercising sound judgment common sense and self-control and you see Basically, what we're trying to say here is sensibility is not really a glamorous issue. It's not really a glamorous characteristic of an individual's life, but it really is the stuff of life. It's kind of the the bottom line foundation of what what makes you a true Christian, what makes you a sensible person, what makes you someone who's acceptable to others, to even communicate to others. In Proverbs 16:32, it says, "He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city." You see, men, we're not to be like Alexander the Great, who could conquer the whole world, and yet he couldn't conquer himself and died in a drunken stupor and choked on his own vomit at the age of 33. Our lives are to be lived sensibly. Our lives are to be lived in such a way that we are in control of ourselves. Now, see, what you've got to recognize is that the biblical opposite of sensibility gives us a clue to what this term and what this quality should be in our lives. If you were to take the original Greek and find out the opposite of the word sophron, sensibility, you would find two words that would be used as the opposite of that particular term. One would be ignorance. Ignorance. And the other would be frivolity. Therefore, if one desires to be biblically sensible, which is what God wants for you in Titus chapter 2, verse 6, then you must know the truth, which is the opposite of ignorance. And you must seriously pursue it, which is the opposite of frivolity. And without reading into the text, what that says to us is that if we're going to be sensible men, and women we must be men who have a plan men who have a plan if there was one simple way to summarize all of what sensibility means it would be the sensible man has a plan the sensible man is a planning man he is a man who has planned and structured his life so that it is in order it is not chaotic it shows forth sensibility He knows the truth and is seriously pursuing it with a sensible plan. We cannot be like Christopher Columbus, who, when he discovered America, when he was going there, first, he didn't know where he was going. Second, when he got there, he didn't know where he was. And third, when he got back, he didn't know where he'd been. We cannot be that way. We cannot run our lives that way. Well, how does a man... Then plan his life in a sensible manner Practically, how does the single man exercise sensibility? Well, let me give you three ways Number one, the man has goals The man has goals A man who is sensible will have goals and seriously pursue them The sensible individual plans his time with a calendar He plans his money with a budget He plans his career with a balance between training and experience, including both short and long-range goal. And the sensible man even plans his friendships. He thinks through who he spends time with. He plans his ministry, his social time, and he even plans his dates. In other words, he is a man who plans and prays and prays and plans. He has direction. He is going somewhere in every area, spiritually, mentally, socially, and physically. When I used to work at Hume Light Christian Camps, I had the opportunity of working at the wagon train camp, which was way tucked back in. It was the little junior camp. And the road to this particular junior camp almost went a mile and a half back into the woods, and there were no lights, no Uh, Street lights no, any kind of lights and on certain nights during the summer about three or four times during the summer There would be no moon no stars and overcast and literally you could not see your hand in front of your face and I would walk home after being in the snack shop with everybody else and having a good time walk home this mile and a half on this road by yourself and even the bravest of men would have to Feel their way down the road by tapping your foot out in front of you. And you've got to recognize that on this particular road, on one side is a whole bunch of craggy rocks, and on the other side is a 30-foot drop-off into a stream. So you walk along feeling your way. And I didn't make a whole lot of good progress because I'd feel my way and had no sense of direction. And I'd feel all of a sudden my foot out and I'd test that there would be no ground there, which meant if I took another step, I'd be in the creek 30 feet down. And the other way, I'd have my hand out in front of me and I'd feel the rocks. And I'd just zigzag back and forth across this road because I didn't have any direction. And a simple walk, which should have taken me no more than 10 minutes, took me sometimes a half an hour to 45 minutes just to get home. And of course, compound that with mountain lions and killer squirrels, it became a very frightening trip. (laughs) And that is not how we are to live our lives. And yet, if I was to spiritually analyze your life and you were to do the same with your own life, you might sense yourself spiritually walking along the same way with no direction, kind of bouncing from thing to thing, wondering what am I going to do next and what are my priorities? The sensible man knows where he's going. That's why he has goals. What goals do, they take the future of what you want to be and you know you need to be in Jesus Christ and it applies it right now to the present. That's exactly what goals do. They don't keep you from living by faith. If anything else, they keep you on target. That's the sensible man. Are you a sensible man? Second way that a man is sensible is that he listens to the right voices. He listens to the right voices. Who or what do you listen to? You listen to your heart. Girls are not the only ones who listen to their hearts. Some some girls are much more objective than many of us guys, even though that is not the typical stereotype. The Bible says that our heart is desperately wicked and cannot be known in Jeremiah 17 9, and therefore the heart is a very dangerous thing to listen to. A very dangerous thing. Christians are never to live their life simply on the basis of their emotions or their heart. We are to use our minds. We are to be objective. That's sensibility. Do you listen to your circumstances? Your circumstances? Yes, God uses circumstances. But do you look for things that aren't there? Like, you know, you meet a girl and she has the same name of your favorite toil while growing up. And so she becomes the one. You know, her name is Tonka or Skeltar or something. (laughs) Do you listen not only to your circumstances, but do you listen to someone's name Tonka here? (laughs) Do you listen to God's voice? God's voice. Let me ask you a question. How do you know if it's God's voice? If that's what you listen to. If I have my theology straight, the voice that I think may be God's voice might be the voice of Satan, the enemy. It might be my own thoughts, it might be a nightmare, or it might be the result of me eating a bad pizza the night before. I don't know what God's voice is. Our problem is that if I asked this group, as I asked many Christian groups, if God told you to do one thing, and the Bible told you to do something else, what would you do? Some would answer, I'd do what God told me to do the sensible man would say, I would do what the Word of God instructed me to do. Man, the only way that you'll ever become sensible is to listen first to the written Word of God. I know this is very practical and it's so basic, I'm afraid I might be insulting your intelligence. But you must run your life and organize your life in such a way that every decision that you make is on the basis of biblical truth. If you do not cultivate the habit... Of when you're depressed, when you're uptight, when you blow your first final and you don't go back to your room and you cry or you weep or you get depressed, but you don't look into the word of God, you're not being a sensible man. In the area of your relationships, as you're seeking to be the kind of man that God wants you to be with that girl, are you evaluating your life and your responses and your feelings and your emotions on the basis of the word of God? On the basis of even your career choice and your future, as you think and pray through those issues, are you examining the Scripture to find wisdom and guidance in those areas? See, that's practical Christianity. That's real Christianity. That's only Christianity. It can't be as you listen to a chapel or you listen to all your great instructors instruct you in the Word of God. You have to depend upon the Word of God in your own life for the basic issues that you deal with every day. And treat the Bible for what it really is. It is our answer book. It is our operation manual. But many of us only look at it when it's absolutely necessary instead of for the major and even the minor decisions that face us every day. Be a man who is dependent in prayer and searches the scriptures. And only then will you be sensible. The third way to be sensible As for you single men, you must plan and think through in advance your relationships with single women Women if I could exhort you and encourage you from someone Who has made a lot of mistakes in the past and is learning still in his own marriage relationship? Avoid the man who is not sensible like you avoid the disease AIDS Stay away from the guy who is not sensible You will live a life of absolute horror and absolute misery if you marry a man who is not sensible. In our marriage relationship, I can recall out of the thousands, if not tens of thousands of decisions that I have had to make and that we have made together as a couple, my wife and myself, there have been two decisions that have been made on my part that have caused incredible grief and incredible insecurity in our marriage relationship. Now, I know I'm not alone in that. I know that every marriage couple um, makes mistakes. And yet, at the same time, those two mistakes have really stuck out in my mind as being incredibly bad and unwise. Even one of the decisions that was made was made with incredible counsel searching great men of God that were surrounding me at that time and asking them their wisdom all pointing to one direction and yet now looking back going how could I have made a decision like that and just two decisions have caused us that much grief not that it's wiped out our relationship And not that we have not put those things behind us. But weighing the incredible amount of grief, I cannot even imagine being in a relationship where every other decision was made without sensibility. Just two. And the incredible mark that they have made on our lives. Just imagine having every other one out of the tens of thousands of decisions that are made in a marriage relationship lack sensibility. What kind of security would that be? That's how important it is. The true sensible man will begin to make God-fearing decisions now concerning relationships later. He'll establish standards, purity, make wise decisions for the future of you as you breed and continue to grow in your relationship. And you need to think that through, ladies, as an essential quality of a man who you might end up spending the rest of your life with. Is he a man who thinks through and makes wise decisions? Does he make his decisions on the basis of the word of God? That's just sound counsel. That's exactly what Titus is calling for when he says, first, urge, catch the urgency in that, the young men to be sensible. Let's look at the second one. The second one this morning is visually we are to be, as men, examples of good deeds. Visually we are to be examples of good deeds. Like the pace car that starts an auto race, the man has been chosen by God to lead his family or his future family or his fellow Christians right now by example. He is to show the way and set the pace by the example of his own walk in life with Jesus Christ. He is not complacent about his role as a future dad and as a man right now, but he pursues it, setting the pace. He practices what he preaches. He lives before he lays down the law for anybody else. He demonstrates before he makes demands on anybody. This is an absolute principle of discipleship. This is a principle that you will not just exercise in your families, you will not exercise right now with your peers, but you will exercise doing the very thing that God has called you to do. Jesus Christ never required the disciples to do anything that He did not first do. And it's the same thing with true biblical leadership whether it's in a guy-girl relationship, whether it's in a group of guys, whether it's on a baseball team, whether it's in any sort of sporting situation, you lead first and foremost by your own life, by your example, by the illustration that you see in the model that you establish by your own life. Unlike the obese doctor who tells you how to lose weight, unlike the bald man who sells hair restorer, Unlike the dentist with only three corroded teeth left in his mouth, and unlike the health nut who is seen chowing down a bowl of Captain Crunch, the godly man recognizes that whatever he wants his disciples to be, he must be first. He must be first. You cannot impart what you do not possess. You cannot lead people in an area that you have not yet mastered yourself. We need to live every aspect of our lives as an example that can be followed. You see, when Paul uses the word here, example of good deeds, it is the Greek word tupos, which is where we get the English word for type. And the word was used in the first century as kind of a die, like an insignia that you would put on a ring and press into wax that would be your signal, your impression. That's exactly what God wants us to be. He wants us to be an impression or a pattern, an example or a model. What Paul is saying here to Titus and all the young men is that they are to show themselves to be a spiritual model that can be followed and imitated. The greatest form of learning is that which takes place in modeling. It is the greatest subconscious learning that takes place in any situation. Modeling. You know, so help me. I did not teach my son To tell me that I was a good boy after I finished my food. I finished my plate of food and my son leans over to me and he goes, Good boy, Daddy. I didn't teach him how to do that. He just saw me do it. I did not teach my son. I didn't sit down and say, When we go over to the school and we run around and we kick dandelions and all that kind of stuff. I kick the dandelions and I make little sound effects. I'll kick it and I'll go... I never taught him how to do that, but you know what? He will not kick a dandelion without going... When I pick him up and I hold him, I rub his back and I pat it. You know what? Every time I pick him up, he rubs my back and pats me. I didn't teach him how to do it. He just does it. You know, I run around the house sometimes, and when he was younger, I would run around the house kind of weird imitating him. Well, you know, he runs around the house doing exactly what I used to do. He runs around really weird. Instead of learning how to run right, he runs, you know, kind of like that, because that's how he used to run. And I used to imitate him. He saw me and he goes, that's the way to run. (laughs) I never taught him how to do that. I didn't say, Matt, this is how you have to run. He just did it. Because modeling is a powerful force. And don't think that you are not influencing the people that you sit around right now by your very lifestyle. For us dads, that means, and for us future men, and us future fathers, that means that we are a type, we are a spiritual die that is leaving an impression. And the question and the challenge for us is what kind of impression are we making on those we minister to, and those we're closest to, and those we have rooms with, and those we will go home to this summer? What kind of impression are we making on their lives? Because you are marking people by what you model, whether you like it. Or not. What's so fearful to me about this truth is the fact that a great deal of the impression that I'm making on my son right now will not show itself until he becomes a teenager and later leaves my home. That's why it's so important to be that kind of model that we're supposed to be. This is much like a story involving some Americans during the Korean War. They had rented a house and hired a local boy to do their housekeeping and cooking. And it was common during the war for soldiers to get that kind of setup up for easy come, easy go, and easy pay. So they had this little Korean guy doing all their work. And what he did was, even though they had hired him, he had this incredibly positive attitude. He was always smiling, and so they decided that they would pull any kind of trick on him that they wanted. They nailed his shoes to the floor, and he'd get up in the morning and just pull those nails out with pliers, slip on his shoes, and maintain an excellent spirit. They would put grease on the stove handles and he would just wipe each one off separately, smiling and singing his way through the day. They would put and balance buckets of water over the door and he'd get drenched, but he would just dry off and continue on as if nothing happened. Finally, they became so ashamed of themselves that they called him in one day and said, we want you to know we're never going to trick you again. Your attitude has been outstanding. So he asked them, you mean no more nail shoes to floor? No more, they said. He said, you mean no more sticky on stove knobs? No more. He said, you mean no more water buckets on door? He said, no more. He said, well, okay then, then no more rat parts in soup. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. You see, if we are a negative example now, we will discover the consequence of our actions later. Not only in fatherhood, but with the very people that we minister to right now. Two years, three years down the road, those people who you modeled negatively to will come back to bite you. Because God is just. That's why Paul is emphatic that Titus and the men be an example of good deeds. Now, Let's talk about practically how does one employ this in your life. Let me give you a few ways in which this can be employed. First, number one, it starts with a life. When Paul writes Titus, he talks more about Titus the example than Titus the exhorter. Titus the example, not Titus the The exhorter. Man, if you want to be a spiritual leader, don't work at being an incredible communicator first. Work at being a model and an example first. Work at being an example, a pattern, a type, so you'll have something to communicate. You know, I was very much impressed early on as a Christian by men who used to get up behind the pulpit and they were so warm and so practical and so gracious and giving. And then, because of my position, had opportunity as a 19-year-old to also know these men as they stepped down from the pulpit and found out that they were hypocrites. They were reading their own press clippings. And every single one of those men is now a washout in the ministry. And what's incredible about that is that they did not work at being a model first and an, exa- and an exhorter next. They didn't work at being an example first. They were not living what they communicated. They just developed their spiritual gift and heightened it to a point where they could communicate with people. But they weren't living the truth. And men, for many of you here who I know and am excited about what's ahead for you in the future, don't pass up the responsibility of living your message first before you communicate it. And that even happens even in the smallest relationship, in the smallest microcosm of discipleship and influence. It must be lived first before there's any credibility. Practice what is preached first. Be a listener Practice what you hear preached. Train yourself in that area. Then second, practice what you preach. Be an example of what you communicate. And then you can powerfully preach. And by the way, all of you will be communicating the truth of the Word of God, whether it's to a crowd like this, your own church, or your own family and children. You will communicate God's Word. And that is what God has called the men to deuteronomy chapter six it tells the fathers and the men to instruct their children when they come and they ask you what the statutes what the law of the lord is all about our response as men is not go ask your mother it's we need to give answer to the truth of the scripture we will instruct our children as well as the women If you notice in Titus 2.7, when Paul addresses Titus personally, he first says, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. The example comes first, then it says purity in doctrine. You see, whatever you do, don't be like the Pharisees who say and do not. Matthew 23. They had all the words, but they didn't live their own example. Live the message with your life, men, first. Number two, good deeds are employed in our life by starting with little. Starting with little. Most of us young men, and myself included, are tempted to have uh, delusions of grandeur. We have ideas of being great and doing wonderful things for the kingdom of God, and many times not even knowing whether our motives are right or wrong. We just want to do it. But the example and the illustration and what God would require from us is to start with little. William Blake has said, Great occasions for serving God seldom come, but little ones surround us daily. Therefore, don't wait for the great tasks. Do the little ones in a great way. Just like Jesus who said, You were faithful in a... How many things? Few things... I will put you in charge of many things. Faithful and little means you can be faithful and much. A story is told of a little man who was looking up at a huge man, and he said, if I was as big as you, you know what I'd do? I'd go out into the woods, and I'd find the biggest bear I could find, and I'd rip that bear from limb to limb. And the big man looked at him, that little man, for a moment, and then he said, little man, there are a lot of little bears out there. And if you cannot do great deeds, then give yourself greatly to little deeds. If God has not put you in a position where you have great influence, then give yourself greatly to the influence that He has given you. If God has given you the opportunity to influence three or four other men, then that's three or four other men that you will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account to. That's enough for me. Is it enough for you? For you men, stop seeking the upfront glory position. Stop trying to position yourself in a place of great esteem. Instead, do the little tasks, the small assignments, the daily work, job, homework, outreach, and good deeds faithfully and greatly and let God take care of bringing the great things along. Because if you are faithful and little, He will bring those things along. Which leads us to our third point, number three. Employ good deeds by starting with the lowly. The lowly things. Like Jesus who washed feet, as a man desiring to do great things in the future, start now by doing the unknown, the unseen, the no-response job where nobody recognizes what you've done, the unappreciated ministry in a faithful way. Let me be real practical with you. One of the main ways in which you demonstrate love to your wife, men, is you do those deeds around the house that are a real annoyance to you. You give yourself to fixing the faucet. You give yourself to cleaning up the mess in the garage. You give yourself to those small, minor, insignificant things that can wait for years in your perspective, but to her, it's that or nothing. And that's how you demonstrate love. You sacrifice your own priority system for her priorities at that particular stage and point. And you need to cultivate that habit now. Some of you look at me like you're kidding. I guarantee you, you will be there. Without any fear of being a prophet of God, it will be a main concern of you wives about those things that go wrong around the house. And it will be probably the lowest thing on your priority list, men. <laughs> And yet that's how you will demonstrate to your wife in many ways that you really love her by doing those things. Those small, lowly, insignificant things. And I challenge you to ask any married man whether that's true or not. And they will nod their head in agreement. You are to do those small things in a small but very faithful way. Not to get ahead... But because that's what needs to be done, and you're grateful to the Lord that He gives you anything to do. You know, we need to learn from the life of men who've gone before, and one man, one man who we can learn a lot from is a gentleman named George Jagger. One time he took his three sons and his elderly Father, out into the Atlantic Ocean for a fishing trip, and he had no premonition of what was going to occur to him during that one small, simple fishing trip and the horror that awaited them. But out in the middle of the ocean, their engine had stalled in the late afternoon, and while increasing winds whipped the sea into great waves, the boat rolled helplessly in the water and began to list dangerously. And it came apparent that they were going to sink. So all four of them, the father, excuse me, five of them, the grandfather and the three sons put on their life vests and slipped into the ocean. And what they did is they fought for their very lives being tied together with a rope. And it was 630 p.m. when the sinking craft disappeared and the swimmers set out to work their way toward shore and six foot waves began to beset them and a strong current made swimming almost impossible and first one boy and then the next boy and then the next boy swallowed too much water and helplessly George Jagger watched all three of his sons and then his own father drown. Eight hours later he staggered onto shore still pulling the rope with those four people attached and he said after recovering that he realized that all were dead that his three boys and his father were all gone but he didn't want to accept the fact and give up himself and so he kept swimming and going to the shore and he said to the reporters that his youngest boy Clifford was the first to go and that he had his whole life tried to model the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. He tried to teach his sons that they were in not the land of the living, but the land of the dying, going to the land of the living. And his sons lived that message in such a way that the first little boy, when it was obvious that he was going to drown, the father, George Jagger, heard him saying, I'd rather be with Jesus than go on fighting and drowned. My question to you is, what kind of father will you be? Well, you'll be one who models the message in such a way that you'd be ready for anything. Because that's what God is calling us to. My question to you this morning is, are you sensible and are you an example of good deeds? Let's pray. Oh, Father... I pray that You would help each one of these students in this particular time of their lives when they're under incredible pressure and stress. God, cause them to cast their care upon You because You care for us. Move in their hearts to cling to You and to depend upon You and not to forsake You in the time in which they need you the most and father even in the midst of all the things that they need to think through i would pray that you would plant into their minds into their hearts the necessity of being sensible and the necessity of being an example first before they would ever instruct or exhort anyone i pray father that through your spirit that you would change lives that this would be a time in which we might be all that You want us to be. And we ask this so that You would be pleased with us, not because we want to impress anybody, but we want to please and glorify You and honor You and lift You up as the great King of the universe and the only one worthy of praise and worship. And so we give You our lives right now, in Christ's name. Amen.